Welcome to episode 16 of That Teacher Podcast. In this episode, we continue to look at the I do, we do, you do protocol, and this episode focuses on unpacking the you do. Well, hi everyone and welcome to the last episode of season one for That Teacher Podcast and I am again joined by my good friend Amanda Pete, who is a colleague and a teacher coach. Uh, we coach together and we have a, a team of coaches at our school and um, Amanda, you're the, the head coach, um, captain coach I call you um, with, and it's so great to have you again on the show. You were on our first show on checking for understanding, and you're on our last show for this season, so Thank you're you, welcome. Thank you, it's lovely to be here. Well, today, Amanda, we want to unpack the last stage of the I do, we do, you, 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 <laughs> you do process, and uh, we're going to talk about you do today, and so the you do is... Uh, the part that I think we want to get to as teachers because it means that we have done our job well, we've done a great I do, the students have understood it in the we do and then we've been able to elicit some sort of feedback from the students to show that they understood it and now the students are ready to be released to do some independent work. So Amanda, what is the, I guess, the benefit of a you do section of a lesson? Josh, the you do is where the students get to practice and apply the skills that they have been working on together with the teacher in the we do, but to do it independently and to embed those skills and knowledge on their own. This is the chance to consolidate the learning that's taken place in the we do and put it into their memory so that it becomes automatic and those skills are embedded. This sounds great to me. Amanda, because it sounds to me as a teacher, this is the time I finally get to kick back in my lesson, sit down, get my coffee and just watch the, the students enjoy themselves with the learning that I've created for them. So <laughs> nice. is that what this is about? <laughs> nice. No, not really. Um, as we know, Josh, every minute of our lesson is engaged with helping our students access their learning. And the you do is, is just as important for the teacher. It's the opportunity for the teacher to... Um, move away from the board and inter engage with the students uh, to monitor each student's progress and just check in with them, giving them feedback specifically on how they're going with their independent work. Um, and it's also an opportunity to um, take those students who haven't quite mastered the content in the we do, draw them aside and give them some smaller undivided attention and support uh, to really help them achieve success. So that you do time is crucial to provide support to our students who might not have mastered it yet. Yeah, absolutely. I was obviously joking about the coffee, um, <laughs> but uh, I think it's so it's so sad that in this day and age, I think teachers, actually, some teachers, um, look for that opportunity mm. to just sit back and relax. And as you say, uh, we're about being you know amazing teachers here on this podcast, mm. and we know that the best teachers are constantly engaged with their students. And so one of the things that we look for as coaches at our school is. Is, are our teachers actually in close proximity to the students? Are they rotating around the room, trying to 
I guess, seek out the students that may need that little bit of extra help. We know that not every student, when we say that, okay, it's time for a you-do activity, that doesn't mean that every student is going to be ready for that. There will still be, you know, one or two in the room that will need extra help. We can't hold up the whole lesson for those one or two. So we let everyone get into their independent work, but we should, as good, you know, good teachers will know which students they may need to go and just check up on. And that's only going to happen if we're up on our feet, we're roaming around the room, checking students' work, um, you know, making sure that they are, are still able to do what they, what they need to be able to do. Last thing we want to do in the you do time is to, uh, take our eyes off that and realize later on in a test or something that there were students in our room that had no idea. And the you do time is the opportunity to pick those, those things up and actually help those students. That is so true, Josh. And at the same time, this is the opportunity for teachers to be providing extension work for those students who are at the top, who've mastered the content or skill quite easily, and they don't need to spend a long time consolidating the same thing. These students need to be pushed, and this is the opportunity to extend their learning. So the you do is a time to support the bottom and push the top. Absolutely. And when it comes to extension, I think sometimes we see extension work as a, a real heavy burden. There's a lot to have to do to provide extension. But I actually think that extension is just, sometimes it's just adding an extra little layer to what the student is already doing. Mm. And so for a PE lesson, for example, you may have asked the students, their independent work might have been, we want you to do 10 volleyball digs in a row. And you find that one of the students is capable of doing that straight away. Maybe they're a state volleyball player or something like that. And so they're finding it very easy. So the extension work might just be to add uh, some extra hits or digs for them to do. It might be, you know, you've got to do 20 or you've got to do 30. Um, and so I guess extension work doesn't necessarily have to be new work that is, you know, extra photocopying or whatever. It might just be providing a, another little addition to what they're already doing. It might be a maths problem where you can just add something that's just that little bit more of an extension to the problem that they're already solving. Or the extension might be, hey, set yourself a problem and go about solving it. Um, and so it's getting them to write their own problem or creating their own, um, their own work is the next one because we know that if a student can create work for themselves, then they must really, you know, really understand it as well. Yeah, that's so true, Josh. And also thinking about things like justify your thinking, getting the students to think further into the reasons why or why not something might be happening. Push those students with open-ended questions that get them to think of a myriad of potential opportunities or different ways of doing things. Yeah, that's really great advice, Amanda. I guess people listening to this are actually getting a little bit of uh, more than what they bargained for. They're getting a, a podcast about how to do you do, but also uh, how to maybe do things with extension students as well. Um, I think it's it sounds really silly to say this, but it's so important it, that in the you do, we actually make sure that the activity that we've set for the independent work does correlate with the I do and the we do. Um, 
we, I know that that may sound very basic and that you'd almost be thinking, well, well, who would set work that's different in the you do, uh, from what was taught in the I do and the we do. But, um, I must admit it does happen from time to time. And it's so important that it all correlates. It all makes sense that your I do rolls into your we do. And then the we do is reflected in the you do. So just make sure of that. Ask yourself if the independent work that I'm setting, is it requiring everything that the students had to uh, be able to see and understand in my I do and uh, show me their understanding in the we do? Absolutely, Josh. And it's got to be reflecting back on the success criteria. The success criteria is the section that underpins the entire lesson. What you've mentioned at the start, what you've modelled and demonstrated, what you've practised, have the students been able to master that in the end successfully? And so generally, Amanda, you know, what comes after the you do is usually the, the closure of the lesson. It's going to be uh, your independent work is going to probably be the last thing that you do before the lesson starts to come to a close. So when we talk about a lesson closure, how do we do that transition from a you do and now into the lesson closure and, and what goes into that lesson closure? A lesson closure is just a brief section of the lesson, which is actually quite vital because it's enabling you to get the students to start to reflect on their learning. What did they master in today's lesson? Where were they successful? And what areas are they still not quite there yet and need to be working on in the next lesson? It's an opportunity for you as a teacher to give a brief summary of what you've been learning and to have the students reflect on their own learning. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I've encouraged some of, of uh, the teachers I've coached is to go back to the success criteria and ask the students to maybe even give themselves a mark out of five, how much do you do you know this? Um, if if you were giving a five out of five, that means I could teach it to mum and dad when I got home tonight at the dinner table. Um, and so getting the students to actually ask themselves, you know, how effective would I be at showing someone else this or how much do I know this will help them, I guess, identify strengths and weaknesses and maybe even identify targets for next lesson and goals for their future learning as well. So Amanda, as we come to sort of the end of this series of podcasts, I do, we do, you do, I thought it'd be helpful for some of our listeners if they were to get a big picture of how this all glues together. So you're an art teacher, you teach primary art. How would a general lesson look where you're teaching a new skill and you're taking your students on this journey of I do, we do, you do in art? Sure. Well, a recent lesson I've just taught Josh is uh, working with clay. Uh, we uh, created gorgeous little uh, emperor penguins with year five and six recently. And so I started with an I do where I modelled to the students exactly how to form a ball of clay and to take that ball and make it into a pinch pot. And I showed them step by step and I had the steps written on the board and I followed those steps exactly. So that would be the I do. That was the I do. Yeah. I was modelling exactly how to create a pinch pot. And then the students had to uh, take a ball and I took another ball and we made a pinch pot together and that became the we do. And step by step, we followed those same instructions and we all made a pinch pot together. So in that moment where you're getting the kids to all do it together, what were the, the signals and the things that you were picking up to work out whether or not you had to go back to an I do 
or whether they were ready to go back to uh, go forward to a UDU. What were you using? What methods were you using for checking for understanding there? Yeah, good question. Well, there was a lot of fails <laughs> with the class, um, and so I was able to work with individual students and show them that well, perhaps they hadn't understood that their fingers had to be fully under the ball when they were pinching and not just pinched at the top. Um, I knew from previously teaching this class that I had to show them some ways not to do it first um, because that's where they were going to make mistakes. And so I had preempted that by already giving some non-examples in the demonstration. Um, but students step-by-step uh, step had to show me their um, pinch pots and I had given them a clue that they had to have the pinch pot as thick as their little finger and so they had to go and measure um, how thick it was and they had to show their partner and they had to say to their partner, is it too thick or too thin? And we followed this process with all the steps involved to um, actually form and put together an emperor penguin. Um, so there were many steps involved but I did it step by step. So I modelled first and then we did it together and so it was a I do, we do, I do, we do, I do, we do, I do, we do. And we all made a penguin that way. And then once they'd made a full, they'd fully made a penguin, they then had to take everything that they'd learnt and make one completely on their own. And that was the you do. Wow. So it was a series of lessons where they were actually, you were linking the yes. various parts of the penguin. You had to teach each individual part using an I do, we do, and then Yes. Going back the next week, it was I do, we do. Next week, I do, we do. Next lesson, I do, we do. And then it was, okay, let's put all this together and now we've got a penguin and now that you've seen the whole process, I want you to do one on your own. Yes. Wow, yeah. it's such a great way to teach because... It 100% set the kids up for success. Yeah. They they made lots of mistakes during the we do, which was fine. And as I say over and over in art, that's okay to make mistakes because that's how we learn. And if you don't make any mistakes, you won't learn. And so I celebrate mistakes in the art room and yeah. um, and we we expect them and when they happen, we correct them so that we learn from them. And then the kids, the, their little penguins that they created were amazing. Now, I've taught this lesson before where I didn't do the I do, we do, you do scaffold and the students have a lot of fun but they don't achieve anywhere near the same amount of success. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that we have noticed at our school, starting to put in some real um you know, strong pedagogical practices that are evidence-based, we're noticing that the learning outcomes are far greater. Mm. I mean, sure, kids can have fun trying to work out how mm. to build a penguin mm. uh, using clay, but at the end of the day, uh, these are kids who have never done this before. Why would we not as teachers actually teach them how to do it properly, get the right techniques so that they get something that they're proud of rather than do something that kind of looks like a penguin. And by the end of it, though, they're still feeling like, I didn't really know how I did that. It didn't really look that great. And so they don't really feel a sense of achievement or success in that. And I think as, as teachers, our job is never, has never been to just facilitate. We are teachers. We're called teachers. We're not facilitators. There are times, yes, where we may facilitate certain things. And I understand that, you know, discussions need to be facilitated. But I think we need to get away from this idea that teaching is just, you know, I put ideas out there and you go and discover. I just think that that is scary, scary teaching. Mm -hmm. um, and I would 
much prefer a teacher like yourself. If, if I'm honest, if my kid was in your class, I'd much prefer him being in your class where you are the expert, you're showing him what to do and how to do it, and he's learning proper skills, proper technique, and he's going to get great results, and he's going to feel great about what he's doing. Um, and so I, I, I implore teachers out there who are listening to this, we are teachers. Don't be afraid to teach. Don't be afraid to use the knowledge that you have, the, the university degree that you you work so hard for to actually just don't be afraid to do I do's and just say to the kids, close your iPads, put your pens down and eyes on me. I'm going to show you how to do this. That is not a bad thing to do as teachers. And I think we have to come back to that. Um, but obviously we don't want to be spending whole lessons doing I do's where it's the whole lesson is look at me and in what I can do and what I know. We need to get off that very quickly. Once we've taught the skill, Move to the we do so that the kids are getting involved. There's participation. You're checking for understanding because you want to move into that you do phase where the kids are really getting their hands into something and really, you know, solving problems or doing experiments or making clay penguins or whatever it is that you're doing, playing volleyball so that, you know, it's, you've, you've actually guided their learning and actually taught them the skills that they need. Josh, I love your passion and I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, we are in this teaching job because we know that we've got skills to share and impart with our students. And when I think about um, working with clay, if I wasn't the one in charge, the students wouldn't know that if the clay was too thick, it would explode in the kiln. And if it was too thin, it would crack. And if it wasn't attached properly, it would separate in the kiln as the clay shrinks. I know these things because I've an experienced teacher who's worked with clay before. My students don't know any of this. If I leave them up to their own devices, they are going to end up with a result that's not going to be satisfactory to them. And so it's in their best interest that they learn from me, they practice under my guidance and scaffolded instruction and achieve success. Absolutely, Amanda, and I want to thank you again for joining us for this episode, uh, the last episode of the season, as we mentioned right at the beginning of the episode. So thank you so much for coming on again for this episode. We want to thank you all for listening to That Teacher Podcast and to uh, all of you who have listened throughout the whole season. We want to thank you for your willingness to listen to our episodes. We also want to encourage you to share those episodes, to subscribe via Apple Podcasts, and also join us on Facebook at that teacher podcast we have a facebook page that you can like and follow and we also have a group that you can join there as well we will be back for season two of that teacher podcast and we would love it if you would just let all of your teacher colleagues know about the show and send it to them um and so we just want to say thank you for joining us this season and until next season it's bye for now